Hi, I'm Kieran Cook, and welcome to At Source Podcast, a place where natural health and well-being are at the forefront of the conversation. Gain useful insights direct from the source from doctors, industry experts, wellness advocates, and everything in between. This is a place for busy people who want to get to the core of health and wellness with information about the latest health advances and trends. In this series, we talk with and learn from inspiring leaders from all walks of life, touching on important topics that will help answer some of the key questions about natural health, well-being, fitness, and all things direct from the source. For this interview, we really must acknowledge the power of one of the most vital insects in our ecosystem, the honeybee. In this episode, I'm sitting down with Professor Phil Lester, who will give us insights into nature's most powerful insect. Phil Lester is a professor in ecology and entomology at Victoria University of Wellington. He is the author of The Vulgar Wasp and Healthy Bee Sick Bee, has published more than 140 articles on invasive ants, bees and wasps and other insects. Listen on as he explains his expertise in population and community ecology of social insect species and the vocational potential of studying entomology for prospective students. Thanks, Phil, for joining us on At Source Podcast. It's fantastic to have you here and to really have a conversation about your work um, in the uh, in the bee space, but obviously also an invasive species. So welcome. It's my pleasure to be here. Thank you. So let's just kick off with a few questions just to sort of get the ball rolling. Um, perhaps you can tell me a little bit about your um, love for ecology and entomology. And I'm just interested to, I guess, better understand what made you want to pursue a career in this field? It's obviously a niche area. Was it sort of a, a thing that was with you as a young child or is it something that sort of grew over the years? Um, both. So always interested in, in, in insects and in, in social insects in particular. I, I guess um, a chunk of it started off fishing actually as a kid um, and, and being at the riverside and looking under stones and, and finding insects, you know, that, that sort of thing that an awful lot of kids do. And um, developed an interest in, in fly fishing and, and that sort of thing and, and went on from there to, to really sort of wonder about insects and, and waterways and beehives and, and you, you can't watch David Attenborough on TV at all without being absolutely fascinated by insects and, and particularly social insects, just how dominant they are and how amazing they are in a lot of ecosystems. Interesting, you talk about social insects, I'd, I'd suggest or guess that most of our listeners wouldn't know what that actually means, could be curious about that. Yeah, so social insects are ones that live in colonies really. So you bees, wasps and ants and termites. Um, you do have other some other insects that, that, that do tend to live in colonies to some extent, but bees, wasps and ants are, and, and termites are the ones that most people will be familiar with. Those are the ones that, that um, have a number of roles in, in the community and, and share tasks out. So there'll be some like a queen that's doing the reproduction. There'll be workers in a beehive. There'll be the ones that are, are, are nurse bees that are tending the larvae. There'll be the, the drones that are just there for mating and do nothing else. There'll, there'll be the um, guard bees and winter bees, all sorts of different roles that the bees play within a hive. So all those different life stages are there and present at any one time. So it sounds like bees are obviously, you know, pretty vital insects in our ecosystem and it sounds like a very sort of large ecosystem. So when it comes to sort of understanding the role of, say, bees um, and ants and wasps in our ecosystem, 
It seems to me that you do lead that conversation. It's clearly a passion. Um, and you've just recently uh, written a book, published a book. Would you tell us a little bit about that? Uh, it's a book about honeybees. Um, and and the, the things that threaten or are, are worrisome for our honeybee populations. So it's uh, called Sick Bee, Healthy Bee, Healthy Bee, Sick Bee. Um, and it's the influence of, of uh, parasites, predators, uh, pathogens um, and pesticides on, on honeybees. So we're looking there really at, well, okay, there's a lot of concern for our honeybee populations throughout the world. In New Zealand, what is it that's really affecting our bee populations here? Just putting it simply, paraphrasing that, because from what I understand, our, our bee colonies are unique and somewhat different um, to some of the ecosystems around the world. What, what would you say uh, would be the, the sort of the status here for our bee colonies and some of the challenges perhaps? Right, so, so we're, we're pretty lucky in New Zealand in, in that um, the bee colony collapse, or, or not colony collapse, but the mortality of bees is not as high as it is overseas. So um, the surveys that are done every year around the globe um, and in lots of countries, they look primarily at the survival of overwintering beehives. And um, in places like um, the US, um, you'll often see the, the winter mortality of beehives being up around 40 or 50% in, in, mm. in a pretty regular basis. Um, we don't have that here. So our overwintering mortality of honeybees is around 10%, uh, according to surveys that are done. And um, that's really, really low. So, so we are lucky in New Zealand to have such low rates of mortality, but we still have bee colonies that die every year. And those die from a number of different reasons. There are parasites like the varroa mite. That's one of the key ones. There are also um, different uh, pathogens, so diseases basically that, that are caused in beehives. And, and some of those are like the deformed wing virus that, that occurs associated with varroa. So we're still losing beehives here, but not at the same rate as overseas. Mm. Uh, in terms of that, the winter drop-off that you were just referring to uh, a minute ago, Phil, would you say that's more to do with climate than anything else? So, um, no, it's uh, the, the statistics or the people think that the, the number one, one of the number one causes there is, is queens. The, the queens just get old and die. So we lose colonies over the, the um, uh, winter period. We lose colonies throughout the year just because the, the queens are, are getting past their prime and, and getting old and, and stop laying eggs or only lay drone eggs, they might run out of sperm, that, that, that sort of thing. So, so that's one of the key reasons. But the other key reason is, is the varroa mite too, that this little parasite that um, attacks the bees. And, and that, um, that little mite results in quite a high rate of mortality um, that we see really appear over winter periods. But in addition, we have things in New Zealand um, such as, as um, starvation, the, the over, overstocking of beehives and bee colonies just don't get enough nutrition. Mm. Um, and wasps even. So wasps, um, the spuler wasp, the yellow jacket wasp that a lot of people will be familiar with, um, those uh, can, can cause a, a lot of damage to hives too, especially in, in the upper North Island, mid-North Island to upper North Island. Right. Okay. That, that's uh, just good to have that clarification. I was talking to one of my local beekeepers down in Omaru a few months ago, and he was talking about how he had sort of been tasked to export a bunch of bees from New Zealand up to Canada. And uh, the harsh climate, partic particularly the queen bee that you're referring to, just to sort of help with the whole breeding of bees. And he was saying that the really harsh winter climates up in Canada um, 
sort of do, I guess, mean that a lot of that population drops off and that there's great efforts that, you know, they have these large rooms that are heated and they kind of create this environment for bees to be able to sort of, I guess, survive and flourish in. It's a very hard environment, you know, you get to Canada and that sort of thing, those sorts of countries. Bees have only a few months every year to forage. So it's mm. it's not like New Zealand. We have a wonderful temperate climate with, with um, uh, really a long bee season where, where bees can forage. But in places like Canada, it is hard. They are covered in snow, you know, a lot. The freezing temperatures such as they're occurring now mean that bee survival, you know, it's another another stress for bees that, that ours don't mm. experience to the same extent. Mm. So your your recent book, Healthy Bee, Sick Bee, um, it's obviously your most recent publication. Um, I guess I'm just interested in what sort of fundamentally inspired you to write the book and what were some of your key findings there? So um, uh, it's bees are fascinating, right? So it's a, it's a good opportunity to, to talk mm. about a, a su- subject I love, right, in, in terms of honeybees. Yes. Um, and um, the book also has a, a good sort of um, chapter in it or, or more where I'm trying to introduce bees and just how incredible they actually are. You know, the bees can do all sorts of things. Bees can count. Um, bees can play soccer. Mm. Bees can do any number of things. So it's they are a, a wonderful organism to study and to and to talk about. But I also get asked a lot. Well, well, are bees in New Zealand suffering from colony collapse disorder? You know, we hear that a lot in the news. Or, you know, what's the influence of of pesticides on honeybees mm. within New Zealand? How much of a threat are those? So I wanted to to talk about those sorts of threats. You know pesticides and, and pathogens and all sorts of things, how they affect New Zealand bees in, in, in context of each other. Um, so to, to really have an overview of bee health and how we might think about improving bee health within New Zealand. So who would you say would be your audience for this new book? I'm hoping that, that anybody with an interest in bees can, can, can pick up this book and, and get a, an idea of the, the life cycle, the biology of bees and what affects them. So I'd hope that anybody with a with a vague interest in insects and bees would be able to to get into the book, but an awful lot of it, you know, that I think a lot of beekeepers will be primarily interested in it too. Mm-hmm. I recognise I'm pretty lucky here at the university in terms of we have access to a whole lot of recent research from around the globe. That, that it's in, in journals that, that cost money to get into. We're able to get that. I um, was able to, to, to get hold of that literature and summarise it and, and really present our bee health to the best of our knowledge in the book. Yes, I had a look at the Victoria University sort of the site, um, one of the platforms there that you're across, and it looks like there's some interesting funding and opportunities for students who might be doing sort of um, doctoral level research or post-grad research scholarships and so forth. So it did look like a really um, sort of dynamic opportunity for people if they had a particular interest in this sort of specialist area, which is great. Would you say that Victoria University would be the key place to to be if you have that sort of natural interest and want to sort of explore further? It depends on, on, on where what you want to do and, and where you want to go. So um, one of the key areas of, of um, bee uh, work in New Zealand, in Manuka Honey, for example, is at Waikato mm. University. Yes. So, yeah. so, so they've got a, quite a strong uh, role up there. 
another group at, at Otago University, they have a role in, had a role in, in neurobiology and, and biochemistry and genetics of bees. So th- there's, there's lots of different research groups around the country uh, that are working on bees, including plant and food research in, in, in Hamilton as well, that, that have really been a, a key provider of, of really good research for, for bees in New Zealand. There are um, some interesting publications, little ones like, you know, The Beekeeper and Additionals that do attempt to explain, you know, what parasites and pathogens and predators and the effects of pesticides have. But it would be just sort of interesting in your own words for us to hear, I guess, just in simple terms, how much of a threat is it really? Something like varroa mites are a major cost for beekeepers. So we, I work with a beekeeper in Northland and, and he'll spend $60,000 a year on varroa control. Um, and recognising that, that, look, if he didn't treat for varroa, then he would lose a major proportion of his hives every year. Right, so, so something like the varroa parasite, that's hugely important for New Zealand and in New Zealand. It works alongside, so if you have a, a varroa mite infestation, then you are going to also have deform wing varroa, um, pathogens in your colony as well and you'll be susceptible to to other pathogens there as well. New Zealand has a um, a program at the moment for American fowl brood um, so it's an eradication program for, for that bacterial disease and um, uh, so if you uh, find clinical symptoms of American fowl brood in, in your hives then you are legally obliged to burn burn it to destroy your bees and, and burn that hive. So certainly um, pathogens and parasites can be and are a major cost to New Zealand beekeepers. And I mean, would you say a lot of it comes down to the handling of the beekeeper or do you think there are kind of extraneous, uh, I guess, issues that would make that, say, more risky than, say, other, other sites, maybe environmental issues? The beekeepers can have have a big role to play in disease management. So with American fowl brood, one of the reasons they have uh, an eradication program in New Zealand is it's recognised that, that some beekeepers can manage their colonies to the extent that, that they have very low or no American fowl brood outbreaks in their, in their apiaries. So disease beekeepers can manage their disease pretty well. With varroa, it's, it's sort of similar in many respects in that you need to monitor, monitor, monitor um, really your, your hives for varroa and, and ensure that you don't let varroa levels get up too high. So you've got to treat it. Lots of people treat it with different methods. There's some pesticides available out there, bavarol. There's, there's, um, there's some formic acid, you know, those sorts of oxalic acid that, that treatments that, that can work as well. So, so you... You need to monitor and you need to treat. And if, if a lot of beekeepers that are keeping a close eye on their bees can manage varroa and other diseases quite well. It's a really good sort of summed up answer. I guess, um, you know, you do refer to the handling of, of hives being key. So I guess my next question is more around, you know, management, you know, because I know there's been a growing trend of backyard beekeeping. Um, I think we all know that. Um, there are places in, you know, the North Island where the beehive density is just crazy to, to the point where it's affecting bee health. Um, so I guess I'm just interested, you know, what are the risks if we've got our next door neighbours being backyard beekeepers? Yeah, there are, there are some wonderfully fantastic backyard beekeepers. 
Um, and there are some wonderfully not fantastic backyard beekeepers, right? And, and I think um, quite a few uh, beekeepers throughout the country uh, recognise that and, and um, uh, will tell you that that, uh, that the amateurs often don't manage their diseases as well as the professional people do, which is kind of understandable in some ways. The professional people out there, a lot of the professional groups, uh, are dealing with bees day in, day out. You get skilled. You, you get some abilities to be able to do that. Whereas a backyard beekeeper, well, I've got a little bit of passion for it starting off, but then with summer they get distracted with something, you know. So so uh, we do see that with things like American fowl brood management, that rates are often higher in backyard beekeepers and, and the amateurs than they are in the professionals. So there's some evidence out there to say, well, there are some really good backyard beekeepers that, that keep their man- diseases under control, but there are also not some not so good backyard beekeepers mm. out there. Do you think, though, and this is sort of um, putting it a little bit on the spot, do you think that the backyard beekeeping trend, because it is a somewhat of a trend, um, is having a positive impact on our environment, or do you think that it's a little contentious? I, it's, it's certainly, uh, I would go with contentious, right? right? Um, so... Um, I suspect that in, in some areas uh, there are far too many beehives. Uh, in some areas, there it's, it's probably just fine. So um, I was giving a talk in Carterton last week, um, and, and up there they were saying, look, our bees in Carterton, there are so many backyard beekeepers that, that there seems to be a food shortage up there. But similarly, if we look in commercial environments, if we go up to Northland and Manuka areas, then there's way too many beehives up there as well in, in those commercial systems. And, and there seems to be bee starvation and there are problems there. So so I, I think it varies around the country. In some places, in some urban areas, there'll be far too many bees. In some areas, they'll be just right. And similarly, within commercial settings, you know, there are some areas where we have got some major problems with far too many beehives and there's some areas where we're fine. So it doesn't sound like it's um, regulated in any shape or form? It, it, it's not. There, there's some work, well, there's some cases going through the High Court at the moment about boundary stocking, you know, uh, and, and that sort of thing. So there, there is some movement towards doing a bit of legislation that, that may be of major benefit to um, bee starvation and bee health. Because when you get starved bees, it's like in any animal, if you starve an animal, it becomes susceptible to other things as well. So it's a compounding problem. So if, if we can somehow get a handle on better abilities to stock bees and ensure that they're not starving, then I think it will be of broad benefit to bee populations around the country. So there's so many species of bees, right? And I guess I'm interested, and our listeners are probably interested to better understand how bees in New Zealand differ to others from around the world, yeah. So um, New Zealand has no uh, native social bees uh, or wasps. So all the social ones, the ones that hang out in hives and and, and colonies are introduced species. So the bumblebees and and the honeybee uh, and the wasp species that we have. So we have four four or five species of wasps in, in New Zealand. Those are, are social, they hang out in nests and, and together. Um, the native bees that we have, we have 40 to 50 or so of those species, those are all solitary. 
Um, so you'll see those periodically foraging in, in native environment. Clay banks, they dig little holes and, and they, they have larvae, individual larvae that they provision with pollen um, in those little holes in, in clay banks. Um, and, and those ones, so those ones are, are, are typically solitary, although they may occur in, in sort of, you know, the clay bank is, is a popular home for a whole bunch of, of different native bees um, you'll see there, but, but they're all individual nesting. So, so we have lots of those, and some of them are quite uh, particular so, and quite specialised in, in what they do. So they will do things like have an ability to open mistletoe flowers. They cannot land on the flower and, and, and twist it open um, that a, a native uh, or introduced bees just don't, can't, aren't able to do. So, so a lot of our native bees are special, specialised and, and, and quite cool. Um, but uh, and can be important in some pollination as well. So with kiwi fruit, we do see native bees pollinating kiwi fruit. So they can be important. Mm, that's really interesting. Okay, and and in terms of um, you know, I was just going back to the education piece because obviously um, you know it seems like around the country there's plenty of opportunities for younger people to pursue you know a vocation in ecology and entomology. I mean, as a professor, you know, are you seeing this as a popular choice of study in New Zealand or is it a growing category? Yeah, so so it can be quite popular. And, and, and um, we have a good group of, of graduate students here that are working on, on insects, social insects. So I have some that are working on, on uh, wasps and, and bees and ants. Um, uh, it's a great career, I think. There's lots of opportunities in New Zealand because insects are so important. Um, both as, as pests at times and, and beneficial insects like, like honeybees. So if you're looking for a job, uh, entomology is, and, and science, in, entomology is a, a good opportunity because you finish uh, entomology degrees and there's places like plant and food or manaka whenua, land care research or ag research or the universities or, or lots of different companies around the country that are likely to employ you. So, so I, I think it's a good career option and, and it's, you know, it's hard to deny bees are amazing and, and lots of fun to work with. So would you say, um, because I'm, what I'm hearing here is that it is a great, a great vocation to pursue, but are you seeing, in an, you know, as I guess sustainability and the environment becomes more of a, a topical um, consideration you know, for this generation, I guess, who are studying currently and beyond, do you think that it will be a growing category? I, I think so. So people around the world are recognising the insect again. So people talk about, you know, the insect declines around the world, and, and that's a real problem um, in New Zealand as well as elsewhere. It seems to be. So we don't have as much data here in New Zealand on, on insect declines as they do overseas. But it's certainly from from the windscreen test from people driving along, and when I was a kid many many decades ago, you, you, windscreen would be splattered with insects. Now it's it's much less. I can leave windows open in my house at night, and and where, when when I was a kid, you, you know, you leave a window open in the house, you, you just get flooded with moths and and other insects. And so now it's different. So I think there is a an insect decline. People are recognising that, it, and and it will be a problem that 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 attains more and more and more interest. Mm. So I, I'm, I'm hearing you and I think what you're really touching on here is climate change. To, to an extent. So climate change could, could be a factor and, and, and certainly is a factor. We know it's a factor for populations overseas. 
So um, bee populations in England um, seem to be shrinking or moving because of climate change. We don't have that information to the same extent here in New Zealand. What we um, do know, however, is that things like habitat change um, can be a, a major modifier of, of insect populations. Um, and uh, we saw that quite recently. Last year, I think, there was a, a dairy farm that, that was created and disturbing some pine trees in the South Island, which which then saw, saw the extinction, basically, of a last population of a beetle species down there. So we know that that the change in habitats that's occurring, urbanisation, whatever, is having a big effect on insect populations. Climate change probably too, and, and quite possibly things like pesticides or introduced species such as wasps coming in. Those are, are probably the four key main drivers of, of, of biodiversity and insect change around the world. Mm. My last question is more to do with risks. You know, some of the the viruses and some of the, you know, for example, some of those aggressive Asian hornets, you know, in America that are uh, sort of affecting hive colonies, you know, massive wipeout, uh, you know, there. I guess my question is, you know, do you think we're at risk of a similar kind of scenario here in New Zealand? Absolutely. So, so we, we have to be very careful at our borders, right? So in terms of our honeybee populations, the, the um, uh, yellow-legged hornet that, that's in uh, from Asia um, that has invaded France and England now, all the way up to England, um, that's a species that I think would do really well here and be a major problem for our honeybee populations. Similarly, there are, there are new species of mites, for example, uh, that are emerging in Asia that, that seem to be uh, really bad for honeybee populations. We've got to be very careful about what we bring into the country, what comes in and, and pathogens and, and diseases as well. So, so clearly th- those are issues that are on we've got to be very careful for. Mindful of. Mm. So when, you, when you're not um, writing books and interviewing people and um, lecturing... How do you spend your free time? You've given me a little hint there in the early beginnings of our interview that you love fly fishing. That's something we both share. So are you fly fishing for your, for your spare time? Not so much anymore. Actually, uh, photography is, is, is um, uh, one of the hobbies So and that sort of thing. And um, uh, my wife will tell you that work is one of my hobbies. <laughs> so uh, for an awful lot of academics, um, I think, around the country, that they're, they're Work is your passion and, and um, drives you for a lot longer than 40 hours a week. So, um, yeah. That's true. As they say, happiness is a great driver. That's right. Um, what advice would you give to, say, um, you know, a young student or, or, a, or a, a student looking to pursue, um, you know, a degree um, in entomology? If Now with your, wisdom, your age-old wisdom, what, would, what advice would you give? So be passionate and, and be engaged. Um, so, uh, you, you know, what I would suggest is that there are entomology clubs all around the, the country. And so Entomological Society of New Zealand uh, is, is the main branch, but there are entomological societies within Dunedin and, and Christchurch and Auckland and, and places like that, What, what are in Wellington. So get involved with those, meet people, Go out and, and sample some insects. If you're interested in honeybees, for, for a lot of kids, then, then there are also beekeeping clubs all around the country. And um, those are hugely beneficial. There's often a wealth of knowledge at those clubs um, that can train people in, in honeybees and how to manage diseases and, and how to, to be a good beekeeper. 
Um, so, so becoming involved in those is is, is really a, a, a good idea. You know, just to get get your passion going, meet Hands people of similar mind. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and I'd imagine that internships would also be an interesting one too. Yeah, yeah. So when coming to university and things like that, you know, talk to your academics that are there and and get involved. You know, get get to know mm. people and that sort of thing. So, so it's it's often the the way to develop a relationship and 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 to develop a career is by talking to people. Mm, that's right. Well, it's been really great to chat. I mean, thrilled to have you here today on the At Source. Uh, podcast, Phil, and I just wanted yeah, wanted to thank you because, you know, there's some really wonderful insights into nature's most powerful insect, the bees. So thanks very much for your time. And uh, if, if anybody wants to get in touch with you, perhaps to get a copy of the book, uh, where would they go? So Victoria University Press in, in um, Wellington ha- has copies. There's many bookshops around the country that, that has it as well. Um, if you type in Healthy Bee, Sick Bee into your web browser, you'll be guided to a bookshop or the website where you can buy a copy. Fantastic. So that's Healthy Bee, Sick Bee. Yep. And I guess uh, if they, anybody wanted to get in touch with you specifically, they could find you on LinkedIn? Yeah, well, not, not so much LinkedIn, but uh, if you type in uh, Phil Lester in uh, New Zealand, um, then you are likely to, to find me. That There's an, a, a guy called Amazing Phil Lester in England who's a some sort of YouTube comedian thing that, that we get confused sometimes. That's not you. But that's not me. I'm, I'm here at Victoria University of Wellington and, and you should be able to find me there. Excellent. Well, thanks, Phil, very much. My pleasure. Thanks for tuning in and joining our conversation and stay tuned for more episodes. Please rate, review and subscribe. Check out the show notes if you'd like to contact this episode's interviewee. At Source Podcast does not accept any liability for the results of any actions taken or not taken upon the basis of information in this podcast or for any errors or omissions. Those acting upon information do so entirely at their own risk. We recommend that you seek professional assistance from certified doctors for your health and well-being issues.